I've been sitting at a the coffee table for like the last two days. <laughs> we have like a Japanese coffee table. Does that it's mean called, it's like lower than the normal coffee table? Uh, no, it's about the same height. Well, I mean, it's actually in Japan probably used more for like a table, like, like the a dining dinner table. table or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it is like, you know, you sit on the floor, but it's called a kotatsu and it has like the top, I mean the tabletop literally, uh, you can lift it off and then you can put a blanket down and then set the tabletop back on it so that you can have, you know, kind of can stick your feet under and stay warm and stuff. And then it's also got a plug in heater. So Ah. it's been chilly last few days. So I was working there since I was only at the computer and um, now I think I I I can feel it coming that if I did that another day I would wake up on Saturday and my back would be pulled so <laughs> well yeah I mean you know you're 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 a tall gangly guy I'm not sure being <laughs> in a cramped position with your knees all tucked up under you to sit at a coffee table is the best for your posture I need to figure out seriously though what the the better kind of driving posture is because my legs are really long, mm-hmm. but the steering wheel does not come out far enough for me mm. to actually sit with my legs comfortable. So, and I like to kind of sit up. Like I don't, I'm not really a, you know, leaning lean back. back. I'm not using the frame of the door to hide my face, you know? Yeah. So you don't get hit in the drive by. Right. Um, so it's, it's, that's such a weird, I don't know. I also, I've got like a lumbar pillow in my car. You got one of those bead things, those bead mats that the taxi drivers use? <laughs> no, I've never understood the bead mat. It looks way too uncomfortable. It does. I, I don't understand that either. But maybe it uh, firms it up a little bit or maybe uh, because it's so many beads, it's kind of like... Uh, wraps around your body and so you have yeah yeah like you have more pressure points touching your skin than maybe you would if you were just sitting on a cushion because you'd actually have like gaps between your butt cheeks and other stuff so you aren't actually getting the support that you would if you have like something that can disperse all those pressure points out you know what it would make sense if like the beads were different sizes so then you could kind of like move around while you drive and give yourself a massage or something <laughs> little little shimmy butt massage while you're driving <laughs> <laughs> just massage the prostate a bit <laughs> well you know keep it healthy what's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything like kids with the code So I actually did have 
something that I wanted to start it off with. Um, okay. I can't remember. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> this is actually more of a question. I, have I ever told you about the time that I had the extremely stressful DJing event? No. I mean, I know you DJed, but I haven't heard very many specifics about s- successes or failures in your DJing stints. <laughs> See, I I was waiting to tell you the story for so long, and I can't believe I haven't told you it. Um, this was like a triumph, really. But uh, So like in college, I DJed, and the majority of it was just random parties. I kind of did it as like a trade-off of like, um, you know, I... I don't get guilt tripped and don't have to pitch in for the drinks or anything if I right. can just DJ. Um, and then it expanded my network of friends a little bit um, to where I would get invited to like DJ their house parties. And then I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I'll do it as long as they would be like, oh, do you want us to pay you a little bit or whatever? I'm like, no, as long as my friends, like I can invite whoever I want to come over. And of course, they're throwing a party. They want more people there. So mm-hmm. it worked out. Well, through this, um, one of my like, you know, kind of friends, um, didn't hang out with him too much, but his girlfriend was in a sorority and they, she was like at a party and heard me DJing. I was like, oh, we have an event and I'm like hiring the music for it. Would you like to DJ the event? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I play like electronic music, <laughs> you know, this is like the, the Baylor formals or whatever. I mean, this wasn't a formal, but you know, I don't own Taylor Swift is what I'm saying. You're you're not, you're not playing very much Stephen Curtis Chapman and Amy Grant for exactly. him. Yeah. Those were my next <laughs> two musicians. So I was like, you know, I don't know, like I've got some kind of, this was right around the time that electronic trap music started getting big. So I was like, you know, I've got some remixes of stuff that is more kind of like hip hop, like beats and stuff like that. So it'll, it might make sense, but I don't really know. She's like, no, 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 it'll be great. (laughs) And then, um, like two days before the event, they sent me a list of songs that they wanted to have. (laughs) Yeah. Send the DJ, the playlist. (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, so then I'm like, okay, well, I got to figure out how to uh, legally download all of these uh, on no budget. Like, yeah, they were going to pay me at the end, but I spoke about it last week. I had no money myself. So um, anyways, found a way to legally procure these, I'm sure. I can't remember. It's over 10 years ago, right? It's fine. And I show up there and it's terrible. Like it's an outdoor event. I like borrowed some speakers from a friend. I had a great sound system and everything, but it's just like, this was not the vibe (laughs) that I normally go for. And nobody's really enjoying it so much so that I have people coming up to me and like, let me play this song off of my phone. And so then I've got to unplug the right speaker from my, um, you know, MIDI turntable plug that into their phone, have the volume down on their phone, start playing it slowly crossfade, turning the volume up and switching over. So it was a disaster. Um, And as I'm queuing up the next song, trying to be like, how do I even mix out of this? 
they got a phone call. So nice. <laughs> that went through the speakers. Excellent. So that was insane. Then somebody came up and was like, just play um, Get Low. And I was like, I don't know. I don't have the edited version. And she said, no, don't worry. Everyone's cool. I start playing Get Low. And immediately the like the <laughs> professor chaperone person and the president of the sorority come running up and tell me to cut it right then and there. <laughs> so then I have to just drop the music entirely. So I'm We're gonna lose our charter. <laughs> incensed at this point because I'm like, I knew this was gonna be bad. Um, but you know, you're not even letting me do like trying to get a vibe or whatever. So I did uh the best thing I've ever done when DJing, knowing it is a Texas college, I put on a uh, shout and, you know, like a little bit softer now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, We've all seen Animal House. It's a great, it's a great college song. So anytime you're at a college song. party, put on shout. Right. It was, it was between that or Wagon Wheel. Um, but I put on Don't shout. Don't put on Wagon Wheel. <laughs> and when it started getting low... To the point of a little bit softer now and everybody's crouching down. Uh, I looped it and let that play for 90 more seconds. <laughs> Everyone's now faces are on the floor as they're trying to stay low. <laughs> when is it going to build back up? <laughs> so I had people, yeah, just like old men just standing up looking like, you know, just like, oh my God, my knees can't take this anymore. <laughs> Uh, so that was my payback. Nobody knew about that uh, except my friends afterwards. But Well, did all your friends that you got into this party have a good time since you refused monetary payment? No. Well, no, this was this was an actual like event. This was not a party. Oh. So everybody's dressed up and I wor- you know, couldn't bring friends. It was only like the sorority invited their dates, which I knew like a few people that were there. But yeah, this is like an actual paid event. So that's... Um, be careful when you pay $300 for a DJ is what I'm saying. Yeah, 300 seems light. Seems pretty light in the DJ game. And I haven't been looking for DJs for a long time. But <laughs> 300 seems pretty light. It was pretty light. It was their only budget. But when you're also asking provide all of the sound equipment, uh, you know, set up, tear down. <laughs> the tearing down too, it was like just me and I had asked a friend to come help me. Um, and he got drunk and forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even have a roadie. Yeah. Well, so that's my story. What do you think? Well, it's it's good. I'm I'm glad you waited so long to tell me it. You know, it was, I thought I was going to tie it in because today we're talking about stress and that was an extremely stressful event. So that's kind of how I dealt with it was, uh, getting snide. Yeah, today we'll talk about stress. Um, it was brought up to us when uh, we were asking for questions for your solo ep- episode last week, which, by the way, great episode. I learned a lot. Learned a lot of things about you I never even knew, Eric, and we've been such close friends for almost two years now. I know. Um, but I thought it was great. It kind of made me want to launch my own like counter-programming solo show as a rebuttal to your solo show. But maybe we'll do that later when you have to take a week off. <laughs> As a rebuttal, like 
I thought I called you a nice guy. <laughs> hey, did, did I? You know, I just there's just a few few elements I I want to take issue with, and uh, we'll we'll let the <laughs> let let the listener decide who's right. <laughs> okay, yeah. We we tell the news, you decide. We solo cast. <clears throat> no, but uh, yeah, you got the uh, all the uh, deep space stuff on the shape of the universe. That was that was good. You you nailed it. You you remembered. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, the shape of the universe stuff really hurts my head, but because <laughs> you know it's like they're like, well, it's not a shape, but it is a shape, but it's not three dimensional. But it's not four-dimensional. It's kind of upper-dimensional, but also two-dimensional. Yeah, it, I mean, if we have to evaluate it, all the information is encoded in a 2D flat plane. That plane might twist and turn and, you know, do lots of different things, but the the actual piece of paper is flat. You can curl that piece of paper up on itself. You can twist it. You can tape it back on itself into a loop. You can do lots of things with that piece of paper. But no matter what you do, the piece of paper is always flat. Yeah. And that, that one came from Ryan as a question of, uh, do Tauruses exist in the wild? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, a question that we got, too, I think it was from Justin, was asking about our how we handle our day-to-day stress routines because he he thought he thinks it's interesting when uh finds out what just people do to manage and cope with their own stress um but you know we started talking about it and it would be like a good episode on its own because stress has a pretty big sort of evolutionary impact and not just in human beings but in sort of all living creatures um, and how stress plays into how things evolved um, really is a, is a very interesting story. But in in the same time, how we individually cope with stress now is also sort of very compelling because the natural questions that I had when I started doing the research on this was, yeah, stress obviously has some sort of advantage to survivability over the long term. So otherwise, any stressed out individuals would have died off and they wouldn't have been selected for through natural selection and evolution. So there has to be some sort of advantageous benefit. But in our modern lives, does that are we getting so overstimulated by all of these different things because we're no longer living the simple life of a sapien on the Serengeti or something that... We have these chronic issues and we are dealing with stress at unimaginable levels to our predecessors or was the raw, difficult nature of just trying to survive being surrounded by predators all the time in ancient humans past was that more stressful for them? And then, and so we're like a bunch of softies nowadays being stressed out about, you know, our likes on, on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> and, but we're not being chased by lions. <laughs> like who, who is, who is the, who is the, uh, the, the pussy in this, in this equation? Is it the early, is it the early hominids or is it us? <laughs> it's kind of what yeah. I wanted to figure out. Well, I, 
I I saw a video yesterday of like is one of those old archive videos of an 80 year old who was interviewed in 1927, and he's uh, complaining about how kids have these fancy typewriters now, and <laughs> he doesn't understand why. You know, if you're doing something to He's like, work is doing stuff that you need to do. And outside of that, it's just play. And he's like tending to a garden. And he's like, see, this is play. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice that I can make that right there? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Shut up, old man. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I was reading stuff about um, the Enlightenment and how, you know, literature was... I just flying off the shelves the the same way like people read social media today like people couldn't get enough information whether it was fiction or like actual uh non-fiction biological texts or philosophical texts or whatever religious texts during the enlightenment period like people were ODing on trying to read stuff and to the point where uh like societally it was portrayed as a negative trait, especially for like women. <laughs> like, like you're you're ruining all the things that make that God made you so delicate and wonderful for for this earth by going and reading all this information and getting knowledge. You're you're <laughs> ruining yourself. <laughs> yeah, so, it's... so like the uh, the at least what I found was no matter what time period of human existence we're talking about in written history there's pretty much an over there's a big cautionary segment of the population who thinks that some something is overstimulating all of humanity and is going to be the downfall of society because people are getting overstimulated, overstressed. They have anxiety. Oh no, now now these women are getting depressed because they read Jane Austen novels and they realize they've never had romance in their own life. Well, if you were just remained ignorant, you wouldn't be depressed that you've never had a romantic encounter in your life. So there's like all the all these sort of uh this uh, very sort of conservative constraint on any kind of progress when it comes to this type of thing. Yeah, the the origin of, uh, I don't know, reactionary thought <laughs> yeah. has to be... That's so weird, though, because I, I mean, I was listening to IJB and um, them breaking down scientifically Nancy Reagan. And <laughs> the... You know, you can think about things and think like, well, okay, maybe like in America, uh, this is not popular, but America was founded by some pretty religious, like, nutcases, you know? Yeah. Um, like, there's been puritanical thought throughout the countries forever. Um, but then when you look at, you know, Europe and everything, they're not exactly uh, supporting, <laughs> you know, uh, free-spirited nature among people so especially conquering all of the world right and subjugating people so it's sort of a it is interesting that those two things seem to kind of go hand in hand like being afraid of new change and all that kind of stuff and then thinking that it's also dangerous but i'm i'm sure it is actually 
causing some stress response if you start thinking about it. Like that's the the Doctor Sapolsky. Yeah, yeah, we talked about him in the depression episode. The he's from Stanford, right? Yeah, I think Stanford. Yeah, he his. Uh, I mean, he's got great, like, I don't know, not analogy. He's got a great way of like describing all mm-hmm. of these things, but it is, it is pretty nice hearing from him because he, he puts it into such context that it's like, um, humans. The thing that really separates humans, and maybe there's some intelligent animals, I'm sure dolphins probably fit in some sort of spectrum of this, but humans can think themselves into stress. Yeah. Um, and that's like, you know, if you don't read, then you don't have the ability to recall what you read and then get stressed about it. So there is some logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can simplify your life to, if you could stunt yourself to always be like the two-year-old version of yourself playing with Play-Doh, you think, oh, that's a stress-free existence. But to the relative experience of a two-year-old playing with Play-Doh, all of the unknowns that go even with that very basic activity trigger the same hormonal type of stress responses that might be inside of you, an adult, when you're you lose your job and you have to figure out how to keep paying for your mortgage. Like the, the, and that's, that's a big interesting part of the research that goes into this because, um, when you start studying the stress hormones, this stuff goes not just to like, uh, when you're an infant, this is like prenatal, the, these types of uh, the, your your type of response to different type of stressors goes all the way into when you're in the womb. Um, so even things like if your mom is exposed to environmental stressors, um, economic stressors like poverty, um, that means that she has high stress hormone levels while she's gestating you. And when you are born, you are born with elevated stress hormone levels. So it's not even like, uh, like though just those impacts of existence on your parents before you're even born go directly translated to your body chemistry. So are you saying it was a good thing that my mom was... Uh, going through law school and getting ready to divorce my dad when she was pregnant with my sister. <laughs> it's probably not a good thing. And it, well, it, it it's not necessarily that. I, I guess the, the way to think about it is that the stressors are in a way neutral because some stressors don't do anything to some people and something that would be seemingly minor to one person can like be catastrophic to another person. So there is yeah. some like relativity based upon the stimuli and how your individual hormones react. Um, but yes, in all of in the way that this is the research is, all of those environmental factors directly influence your hormones and your body chemistry. And this isn't just. This goes back to like even stuff we talked about in early evolution of humans. Like, you know, you go back uh, two million years ago, pre-Sapien times, and like our earliest ancestors, they're 
the female like birthing canal and the size of their hips and uh that pretty much stays the same from them to us now it's not like it got way bigger or anything like that but our brains are significantly larger than they were back then so part of that is the idea that we started giving birth to more and more premature babies from a brain development standpoint. And in order for their brains to get as big as they get now to be modern day humans, a lot of that brain growth happens after birth. So you are in a, in, in a very real sense, you are in a prenatal stage even after you're born. And so infancy and those first those first few months after you're born when you have no idea how to deal with any kind of stress response but you have like the stress hormone levels passed down from your mother during her gestation period when you're laying in your crib for the first time and you experience a slight temperature difference like half a degree fahrenheit and now you think it's cold you have no relative perception of oh I need to get a blanket or I know how to warm myself you have no ability at that time because you technically are still (laughs) prenatal you have no ability to cognitively work through the problem yourself so you immediately go to the most extreme stress response and you freak out this is the most elaborate pro-choice argument I've ever heard (laughs) but that but that's sort of the thing is the uh is the reason the babies, you know, are screaming and crying over something as little as a temperature change or their sock fell off in the crib or whatever is because they are responding to that the same way like you, a very experienced adult, would respond if you suddenly were um, accosted with an extremely stressful event, like someone assaulted you on the subway or something like that. Mm-hmm. They have no other sort of perspective to judge the experience of losing a sock against. So their body reacts based upon the level of stress hormones they have. And if you are coming from certain type of environmental factors that your parents had, you are going to be predisposed to higher stress levels, which is why there's like <laughs> a whole lot more cases of like anxiety and depression the lower on the economic scale you go. Like people who are in poverty have kids who have who are more prone to anxiety and depression and having these chronic stress fatigue and also depleted immune response. Because if you live under a chronic stages of stress, what happens is your body runs out of the energy to go into the fight or flight mode to help you get past that initial stressor event. And once you run out of the energy, then you lose even just the ability to use your frontal lobe to like make a reasonable logical assessment of the situation and you start making incredibly poor choices not and it's not even things where you're like you're aware you're making a poor choice you just make a choice and it's usually the bad one um and so these things build upon each other and that's sort of the uh i guess the pedagogy of the oppressed angle on this whole deal is when you really start to look at the data, like everything skews worse towards kids and adults that have the 
have the worst end of the stick in the socioeconomic environment versus the people who have the privilege in the socioeconomic environment. Yeah, the the low status job certainly relates to it relates to stress and then you know through that directly relates to health risks um so it is kind of a they they go hand in hand then because then you have you know bad health and then that causes further issues um one thing i think just to lay the groundwork too of stress the thing about stress is it's it's one of those concepts that you have to think about for a second um, outside of the way that you normally consider stress. And what I'm trying to say is like, you typically think things are stressful, but that's not what stress is. It's yeah. not like these external things. Stress is the process by which we perceive and respond to certain events and those events are ones that we view as challenging or threatening or adversarial or you know any of these types of words um and it can also be like a change it doesn't have to necessarily be a challenge it can be moving houses you mm-hmm. know that's that's like kind of a depending on which way you're moving it can be a good thing but that's still so much uh work that you have to do and then your brain also gets all wrapped up in this well i should be happy about this but then i've got to do all this stuff like it's right um it so the it's usually it's it's an unusual demand i guess and so that's really what stress is it's how we respond to these what we would consider an unusual demand. Right. Um, and being the creatures that we are, we don't have only physical unusual demands. Like, um, <laughs> like uh, Dr. Sapolsky describes like a zebra in the savannah or a lion. Uh, a lion on the verge of starvation, that's a physical demand. And the stress response kicks them into gear to just go hunting non-stop until they get something now they might be fumbling might be worse at it but they're they're driven to do this stuff um but as humans we have personal and social unusual demands like losing a job or fighting in a relationship or something like that and then these can all like overlap with each other too mm-hmm. um so when you're talking about someone with a lower you know more poverty um you can certainly see how having a job where you're working at like the Kellogg's factory where they finish they they do <laughs> 7 or how long are their shifts they do like 9 hours and 45 minutes and then they're told no you're actually double shifted yeah um so you're going to work another 12 hours so that on top of they don't actually get paid that much on top of their relationships are strained at home. You can start to see how those things really, really compound on each other um, near the, you know, on the poverty scale. And the the other interesting aspect of this is when we talk about coping with the stress. So like you said, 
the stressors are the challenges or the things we encounter that um, are were unexpected or we didn't plan for them um, or we didn't have the foresight to see this thing coming and now all of a sudden we have to deal with it. Um, and so we had no like, we didn't gear ourselves up for this situation. And even when you're talking about early childhood development stuff, um, the way that people approach this is kind of interesting, uh, especially back like when we were kids, it was much like uh, it was all about self-control. Really, it all came down to your personal behavior and your ability to have self-control. And that's what was, you know, drilled it at least into my head as a little kid um, when you would act out in a socially unacceptable way or an unacceptable way to your parents based upon a stressful situation, then you would get reprimanded. And the reprimand was not that you respond, you, you were presented with a stressful situation. The reprimand was that you didn't have the agency to realize what was going on over step outside of yourself for a second, overcome it, and then respond with a more appropriate behavior. And like we've talked about in the brain and in depression, um, our ability to it, that, that's not natural for any of us to have this want, want to be stuck in this sort of introspective mode where we're always observing ourselves from outside of ourselves to, you know, make sure we're not making any social faux pas or whatever. That's not like a normal thing. In fact, if you're too disassociated like that, that can be like a actual psychological disorder. Um, however, it can be very useful if you can get into the habit and in a, in a in a sense, this idea of mindfulness or introspection is just our sort of new modern Western way of trying to tap back into the old Eastern ideas of meditation, which is a method of trying to cope with your stress or not necessarily cope with the stress, but a method of trying to train your brain to be able to have better self-control when presented with stimuli that you don't have any control over and, yeah, and the yeah go ahead well, well like the the eastern approach to like meditation and stuff too is also there is sort of spirituality wrapped up in it um but it's so it's kind of you know it's one of those things especially from america if you don't live in la and everybody does yoga to start to <laughs> focus on that there is this kind of spiritual aspect, but the overall point of it is to just try and continue the process of what you were describing as like on a very scientific, um, you know, perspective, I guess. So it is like you're dealing with the stresses of life, but there's, they add in some stuff, you know, that, that you don't necessarily have to buy into to try and find ways to cope with it if you're interested in that kind of way. Yeah. And really what this is, is I mean, let's talk just quickly about sort of the cycle of the stress response. Um, and we've touched about, we've touched on this in previous episodes in the brain episode, but never just specifically from um, the, the lens of stress. But if you are uh, early sapien, you know, 50,000 years ago, and you're just now entering Australia for the first time and there's all these 
megafauna animals everywhere and you're like, wow, look at all this hunting and they're not even scared of me. I'm going to just kill all of them and eat them. Who cares if they go extinct? I don't even know what extinct means. <clears throat> the If all of a sudden you come across like a Tasmanian wolf and that wolf wants to harm you, your response, what happens to your body is you immediately go into this stress reaction, which triggers your fight or flight response. But what that means is that a bunch of your other bodily functions shut down in order to maximize the energy you need to the muscles that are either going to help you flee the situation or fight for your life <laughs> in that situation if you if you can't get away. And so this sort of energy conservation, you stop digesting food. Like your gut just stops. The blood circulation to all those digestive organs and to certain other organs in your body basically stops. The blood is forced to other parts of your body to flood those other muscles to give them the most energy. Um, but this is also going on in your brain. Parts of your brain are kind of just disconnected because it would take too long if you went to like the higher cognition part of of your brain to process this information you want to just be totally sort of primal and reactionary so the uh the you don't have the ability to loop back the information through your logic through your logic function you just have to react and say i'm going to run or i'm going to fight <laughs> or whatever it takes and so you get this big energy boost, this big adrenaline boost. And this is what is what happens when we hear the stories of like, oh, the mom lifted the car off of off of her kids in the car accident when it got rolled over and she was able to like squat and lift the car up to get her kid out from under it. It's not that they have superhuman strength or like an angel came from heaven and helped them lift the car or anything like that. It is this stress response. So much adrenaline and blood and brain chemistry is targeted to be able to amplify your maximum possible capabilities in very specific muscle regions in order to handle these types of situations. Now, that energy is very short-lived because you are like throttling the gas all the way forward on your car and so your your mileage goes way down so either you outrun the predator um or uh you and your energy runs out and you're finally able to rest and you you go wow i can't believe i got away and you take a deep breath and you're completely depleted and you're like, oh man, I need to eat something. You might even have like the weird sensations that you need to have sex real quick <laughs> because like all of a sudden your, your, uh, your sex organs are turning back on after they were kind of like cut off from any information for a while while you're in the stress response. So it's not unusual to all of a sudden get horny <laughs> like after you've like survived this adrenaline rush moment. Um, and but if for some reason you were able to now fast forward to like modern times and these stressful events that cause the same stress response like when you meet a predator is the same as when you got laid off from your job and now you're laid off from your job because of a pandemic for 18 months, 24 months 
and now the government's going to cut off any kind of unemployment assistance. This thing that was, you had a stress response that was supposed to last like maybe 15 seconds to two minutes so you could run away from it has now gone on for two years and you have not been able to get out of the stress response mode. So once you depleted that energy in the very first short interval right after you got the stressor, you went to exhaustion. And then once you got past exhaustion, your body was still not able able to overcome the stress. And now you're at the very precarious moment where you can actually get psychosomatic illness because your immune system will not respond anymore. It's just not working anymore because you are so depleted of all of your energy reserves and you can't get back to a baseline from where you started before the stressful event happened. And so now when you get a cold or you get a stomach bug, that stomach bug turns into like chronic nausea and then you're puking every morning for six months and you don't know why. And then you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, it's because you're stressed. Maybe you should stop being stressed. And you're like, well, how can I be stressed? I haven't been working for 18 months. I, I'm not like at my job. I don't feel stressed. I'm just sitting at home trying to deal with this. But your body is stuck in this constant stress response and it cannot get out of it. Yeah, it's the... Dr. Sapolsky put it in such a succinct way of uh, the evolution of your stress response developed on, you know, in the Serengeti, and it was three minutes of screaming your head off in terror in the Serengeti, and either it was over or you were over. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there was only two outcomes. (laughs) (laughs) But now, as you're describing, you know, we can get it from so many different avenues, and it doesn't even come, you know, like we're describing like these major events, but it can come from different things. Like it's the Mm -hmm. same stress response because you're, it just starts in your cortex. You just see like, what is it? Then it goes to your emotional center, the amygdala. And then it also communicates with the cortex, but that then sends a signal to the hypothalamus, which uh, signals the pituitary to then tell the adrenal glands to release adrenaline, cortisol, and noradrenaline. So you get the same just cascade of events and they occur with any stressor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So it also, even if you're well adapted, you get the same response. It just means your brain is able to tell you how to like solve it. Um, But when we start talking about these much larger issues, like, you know, if you do lose your job or... um, you turn on Twitter and see that the government was bragging about getting 50% of children out of poverty and then they're going to cut the tax credit. We just threw 50% of children back into poverty. (laughs) Solve that. Um, the, the stress response is the same because that we just have this simple cascade of events. Yeah. So it's not like you can, uh, soften it in any way it's only dealing with the the cognitive um not even the analysis part of it like that's just your original reading but dealing with that communication between your emotional center and your cognizant thoughts on how you're going to respond to things um but once those are exhausted you get to a point where it's just uh 
there's not really much coming back from it. There's no snap of the fingers, you know? Right. Um, and those are like, those stressors can be different things like catastrophes, like a natural disaster or a war or a global pandemic, um, significant life changes, moving, having a kid, losing a job, and then everyday inconveniences like being late somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so when you have all of those combined in the situation that we're, you know, going on two years with, it's certainly, it. it's something that I think knowing that you're dealing with stress every day is probably a pretty good start. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the important takeaway that I learned from this too was when it comes to like panic attacks or when people, you know, whether it's you or your loved ones go into like a severe state of avoidance, um, it doesn't have to be like, oh, wow, they just lost both their parents. It doesn't have to be that type of a catastrophic, stressful event. It can be that they've had a series of moderately stressful events that they've been just, you know, gritting their teeth and riding with for a long time. And then they lose their keys. And like that was just the last thing. That was the last thing that it could take for my sympathetic nervous system to handle, for my cognition to handle. And then all of a sudden, I'm like having an actual panic attack. I'm sweating. My heart is beating through my chest. I can't breathe. Like all of those things. And I don't know why it's happening because all I was doing was trying to find my keys. It's not like, uh, you know, I just saw my kid get hit by a car or something like that. Why is, and so people don't, it's, it's never going to be like, oh wow, you had this one extremely triggering event. And that's a very, that correlation makes perfect sense to, to like how we are, how we behave. <laughs> yeah. I am. I mean, this is, uh, I guess the original question from Justin too was like how we personally deal with mm -hmm. stress. And I know that like the, the small kind of little inconveniences can be the things that can, I don't know. I, I pile a ton on, um, because I, I try to just do a lot of stuff. Um, and I enjoy the outcome from a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that I'm not building up, you know, essentially deadlines for myself. And uh, the way my brain works is I, I do pile it on to, to myself. Like nobody ever <laughs> tells me to do anything. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I've got to do it by this, this, and this. And like, you know, this week I was stressed i was like launching a new thing and working on all of that but it was like okay well i'm excited for this so i don't really feel the stress too much and then yesterday when i'm like finalizing all of these things and getting ready to um post it on friday and everything like that um one of our dogs like started getting sick and like had to go out every 20 minutes to like 45 like there was no one hour period where mm -hmm. we could, I could just like sit at the computer and like I started you know getting stressed and that's not something that I should stress about like 
I've been sick, I wouldn't want somebody to be like, are you kidding me? I can't sit at my computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was not feeling well. Um, and uh, so it's kind of, those things typically are the things that'll stress me out. But then my response is, my my um, conscious response is normally to be like, no, I'm not stressed. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool. I'm just, cool as a cucumber. Just stay I'm in denial. Kimono, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't make it much better. But so it's kind of, that's like the way that I typically deal with those things. And like, now I have to be like, no, I can be stressed about this. And I can understand that it is stressful. And I do have a lot of stuff going on. You're, you're not you're not some out. sort of failure or weakling if you recognize that you're stressed. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's not a personal um, failing. <laughs> and it's then I think about it and I'm like, you know, it, I'm going to be outside for like 10, 15 minutes max. Like the, the dog walks kind of slow. She's uh, old and loves to go the opposite way that you're trying to take her. Yeah. <laughs> but. That's not like, you know, I get to like spend time outside, you know? So there's, I start to try and reconfigure the perspective on what it is that the stressful event is. And I guess that's kind of the way that I, I try to cope with it because the way that I used to cope with it is very, you know, just bottling it up and then eventually spiraling over anxiety and stuff. And then I also get stressed over things like, um, I got an email earlier this week as I'm like starting to get really busy with all of this stuff from somebody who was like, oh, uh, like interested in kind of talking to me about a project that they want to do and like interested in hiring me to help out or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I like was like, I can't deal with this right now. Like, <laughs> like this is, you should know that I'm extremely busy and I shouldn't have to consider this kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is uncalled for, for them to reach out to me, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but then, you know, I talk with Miho and I'm able to be like, listen to her and be like, okay, this is, why don't I figure out what I need to do? And then if that comes up, then that's okay. Like I can send a reply email um, that's not going to take any time. I'm just stressed because I don't know if I have everything sorted out that I do need to do. Right. And those are kind of my two like things that typically stress me out and how I deal with them. So, so for me, my stress journey and really figuring out how to cope with it, uh, you know, drastically changed in my late 20s and 30s as I was really starting to deal with being blind. Because, um, like, before, it was, you know, the typical stuff, like, oh, man, college is stressful. Oh, man, I'm working a full-time job and doing college. That's stressful. And then, you know, you get into the business world and you have employees, and so, like, that constant, subtle chest pain of worrying if you're going to have enough cash flow in the bank account to make the next payroll <laughs> type of thing that's just always just subtly there just you know you get used to it so it's it's like a comforting kind of like tightness in your chest <laughs> that you have <laughs> all the time um yeah i can't imagine <laughs> uh but you know that those like the uh 
the response, the financial responsibility to other people and them knowing that like, if for some reason, like their paycheck is one day late, like they're going to be pissed and that they rightfully so should be pissed, you know, and maybe it might be things that are outside of my control because some client we had bounced their check or whatever. But like, ultimately I have to figure out a way to make sure that I don't pass that down to to my employees. So that was like the biggest sort of constant, like not crippling, but it was the chronic thing. It was the chronic stressful thing that was always going on. And even after I stopped working because of my blindness, like that lingered with me for over a year. I like not being able to sleep still at night, still waking up at like four o'clock every morning and either like feeling like I didn't sleep at all or kind of a cold sweat, you know, worried about what was going to happen the next day. Um, And even though I could rationalize and say, look, you stopped doing that job. You are now on like a disability income. You don't, none, none of that matters to you anymore. Like I could not turn it off. I could not, there was not a way to just like be like, okay, well, logically obviously i should stop worrying about this <laughs> it was actually ingrained it becomes such a chronic habitual part of my personality that it would have been easier to cut my own arm off than it would be to just divorce myself from that thought process so that that was really tough but i think what got me through it was sort of accidentally stumbling into meditative states And that really came about because I was home by myself a lot, especially when I first stopped working. And so when you have used to be surrounded by people at an office and now all day you're sitting at home pretty much alone, like you can only, you know, listen to so many books on tape and podcasts constantly until you have to like actually be still with your own thoughts. (laughs) And that's pretty terrifying, especially if you have always been so busy that you've never even had to entertain sitting still and thinking about what you're thinking about and then having to then do the really grotesque thing of like evaluating yourself about the way you behaved in past situations (laughs) because you never had to worry about that because you were always so busy. But now that you're not busy anymore, you're like, oh my God, I'm mortified about the way I behaved that one night two years ago at my friend's house and like that is just like looping in your head and you just can't get over how terrible you were and all the that type of stuff um but that was like the first step of getting into a introspective mindful meditative state and once I started being okay with visiting that part of myself you know every day and doing some of that slow long quiet time where you're alone and you can really you know, tune out all of the other stuff, you can actually start to unpack those things and work through them. And then not in like a, not in a negative context, compartmentalize them, but you can organize those things in your brain and give yourself some slack. You know, you can give yourself a break finally, or you can find a justification for this, or you can say, Ooh, now that I feel bad, maybe I should go and have, you know, coffee with this person and reconcile something that I've just buried for so long. And now I realize that it is still weighing on me because I've come up for air. Maybe if I can rectify that situation, that'll take a little bit of that weight off my shoulders. And now I just, you know, typically I spend 
two hours every morning where I try to just be in that zone in that get in that headspace where I'm not getting distracted by anything else. And I can just really think about the type of person that I want to be, because unless you intentionally think about it, you're just going to be the reactionary person that's living on the, you know, half second delay of your life all the time watching the movie of your life like you have to figure out really start to figure out like okay when I feel this little twinge in my stomach or in my chest that is the start of a feeling of my stress response brought about by some stimuli and now I need to notice when that little itch starts to do some do some sort of meditative types of things and be aware of that so I can get ahead of it rather than letting it just take me over and then I'm just completely reactionary and subservient to this experience. Yeah, I I certainly can like see the the benefit of starting to try and think through of how you want to work through those things. Um, I don't know if I've necessarily done that, but I, like my personal like stress started, uh, very young. (laughs) So I have like, you know, uh, my brain was all sorts of screwed up, but I was able to find, I guess, ways to cope with different things. Um, and like, you know, I, I, joke about it because it is kind of funny to me but like i don't remember my childhood really Mm -hmm. and that relates to stressful events like you when you have an increased level of cortisol the cortisol uh goes back up into your brain and interacts with the area that controls like your stress response And it's supposed to be a kind of feedback loop of after you have enough stress, the cortisol goes there and then like dampens the stress response um, so that you're not dealing with it as much. But the more times you're stressed, the more chronic stress you get, the more cortisol goes in there and then those receptors get all jacked up and it also interferes with the hippocampus, which deals with those things um, and reduces your ability to like regulate your stress response Mm -hmm. and also seriously hinders your ability to form memories like the hippocampus is partly responsible for dealing with the formation of new memories and like growth of neurons and stuff and uh too much cortisol can literally just kill brain cells in that part of your brain so i i don't like have much memory from childhood um but I like the stuff that I figured out like to cope with uh, were normally like, you know, I, I did watch like Seinfeld and stand up and all that kind of stuff. So typically trying to joke or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing art at a pretty young age. So I also do that. So those were kind of the ways that I started to view uh, myself personally of like, I want to do more art i want to you know be able to converse in a way where um i'm not like just talking about me and then waiting for my turn to talk about me Mm -hmm. in any sort of conversation 
Um, but I, I don't think I really ever sat down and was like, okay, how do I want to deal with these situations or how do I want to, um, I don't know, work through like memories and stuff. Cause I've kind of got like a, I think pretty good perspective on my memories. Like when I was doing therapy, I, my, one of my first sessions, the person was, and I've done counselors and stuff since I was a kid. Like there were court ordered ones, uh, during the divorce and everything like that. So I've spoken to them, a lot of them in Texas. And so a lot of them Christian bent, which really screws up the <laughs> approach to healing. So how, uh, so what are you doing to try to get your parents back together? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not your fault, but <laughs> uh, so it's kind of the, the, I told the person like the therapist, I don't really have memories uh, from childhood. And she was like, well, why don't you try to write down every memory you have? And, um, I described them pretty in detail because I have like snapshots, uh, but it's only like 11 pages up to like current time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and like, if you think about it, that's not a whole lot. It's, um, it's not. There's Jesus, Jesus said more words in the New Testament than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's it's kind of a, you know, my my coping with it was probably also my brain just like not developing memories and stuff um so it's also like maybe that's where i get this i don't i'm not stressed kind of thing because then if i start thinking that i'm stressed then i think that it's something more important to deal with rather than something i can just forget about mm -hmm. um but i don't you, know you the, don't you I, don't want to give it credibility <laughs> yeah yeah that probably that's probably it um so it's kind of you know when i was uh way more depressed and when i was like applying to medical school and all that kind of stuff just like in my head was like so uh if i continue to go through this like i'm probably gonna kill myself yeah <laughs> like, um <laughs> and it took like as i mentioned you know miho getting her uh company to request her to move to japan for me to like kind of really snap into like okay well i don't think i want to kill myself <laughs> like that's not like a good outcome it's like you know? well there's two outcomes i become a doctor and then i kill myself i, I yeah I, that's the only those are the only options <laughs> yeah and usually one would follow the other <laughs> if but that were going to be the case the interesting part of that though is that a lot of what stress has to do with is you own you not wanting to be interrupted with things that you don't anticipate so if you've already gotten on a path and you've decided for yourself that these are this is the outcome of my life mm -hmm. then it makes it a lot easier for if any deviation off of that path happens it's going to potentially cause a catastrophic chronic stress response to you because you had it all set up. It was all supposed to be this way. And now all of a sudden something happened and it's not going to be this way. And I can't, as a human being, I can't deal with this uncertainty. Yeah. And it was, it was also like, you know, that's kind of the thing with, um, it's hard to describe, uh, because like getting to the point, it's sort of like viewed as 
well, you wanted to like become a doctor and like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but I was really good at studying. So everyone's just kind of like, well, yeah, that's what you do. Like you have to now <laughs> devote your life to this thing. And so I, you know, I went through all of the steps to get there. Um, but that was also probably part of the problem was I wasn't envisioning like, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to go to medical school and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It was more like, well, this is what's uh, completely expected. And um, so it's kind of the, the, I don't know. There's like that self-loathing because it's like, well, this is not anything I want to do, <laughs> but I'm doing it. Yeah, but, but now I'm almost it? to the point where this is, I'm stuck because it's, I've, I've spent all my time only preparing to do this thing. <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I mean, there's no course correction time now to go change and do something else because I wasted my whole life preparing for this one thing. Yeah. I was able to like, you know, postpone it luckily um, by going and working in medical research for a couple of years. And uh, I, I think it's probably good that I wasn't getting paid very well there. Like I was getting paid so low that I could not have afforded to live in Houston to work at that job mm. if I wasn't living with Miho. Um, and I think that was enough to just be like, yeah, I, this stuff like kind of sucks. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like especially the, the research side of it, like, you know, I don't have personal qualms with it because I was trying to do it in the most humane way possible but I'm like killing animals every day, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And that like doesn't necessarily take a toll, but it's also like, why am I even doing this? Like the, the research I'm doing is for the DOD. Like I don't, I, I hate them. Like <laughs> what am I? <laughs> so it, it helps like kind of spur this more internal dialogue, I guess, of trying to figure those sorts of things out. But I think I'm still probably... I'm not great at that stuff. I don't really, I don't think cope with things super well. I think the whole, I started rambling like crazy. Um, but I was trying to say that I don't really have that meditative thinking time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's also ways to start to kind of view your, your, what you're dealing with, um, without needing to be like, okay, I need to sit down and like be with my thoughts. It's one that, is very helpful and useful, um, but it it d has no. I cannot do it. Yeah, like, my my brain is constantly going, and I've devoted time and tried to do it, and I can't do it. Like even when I'm skating, I'm thinking about eight other things, you know. So it's kind of a. There are other ways to try and figure it out. You just have to start thinking about those things. I think. Yeah, and. You know, for me, a lot of this all really started to flock into place when I really internalized the concept of no free will. And like when I really started internalizing that the scientific concept of determinism and no free will and part of that is that you you can also stop beating yourself up as much about how you handled certain situations because you really couldn't have handled them any other way than you did because 
you were you could only have made the choice that you made in that moment you don't there's no time machines to go back and undo those choices there's no uh and even in the moment that you made the choice it wasn't a choice of free will where you had any cho- option to choose you only had to make a choice based upon a limited set of options either due to your chemistry or due to environmental factors or whatever um and that really once that really sunk in and and became like an actual part of my personality and not just like this makes sense but like i actually internalized it um that's when i really started being able to dissect it down and be like okay now i when i get this i can start to backtrack these stimuli like when i when i want to you know get into an argument with nikki i can feel i can know what that feeling is before i start having the argument i can work backwards and find out where that initial spark is that is going to set me off in this reactionary uh, mode and if i can be smart enough to track it back and then identify that spark and then catalog that and say, okay, anytime I feel this spark, I know that this is like the reactionary behavior I'm going to do. Then I can at least do something to maybe put the brakes on or soften it a little bit. I might not be able to completely stop the deterministic train of events that's about to happen, but I can have a conscious awareness part of me that at least you know, halts it a little bit or you can take myself out of the situation before I do something that I'm later going to be stressed about and have anxiety about because I regret the way that I handled it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, uh, in college, I was probably dealing with so much stress and everything. I was very confrontational then, not like getting in arguments with people like, um, <clears throat> Like, uh, probably trying to get into too many fights yeah. with people, but you know, that's kind of Texas. Uh, everybody's very resentful at some point <laughs> in their life. Um, so, or at least at Baylor, it was, it was nuts. Um, so I, but my personal, like, I'm not very confrontational. Um, so it also is difficult. Cause like, if there's something like I don't I don't think okay I'm going to like uh I don't know it's hard to describe it's more like internal complaining rather than confronting whatever is something mm-hmm. so there's also there's like these different ways of analysis of a situation too that play into cascading that stress response uh in a weird way so I don't know it's it's certain, certainly like a very personal thing too. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to like even start to break it down. Um, and it's it's good to know that there's major health risks <laughs> to being stressed all the time, but that can also that's not good to like start off with. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. That that was the. So I, I guess the final two points for me is one. Personally, I think the other main thing, and this should not 
be underestimated at all in this evaluation of stress. One of the main things is if you can have some sort of guaranteed income that covers your basic needs, that alleviates so much of the day-to-day stress that you don't even realize that you're just carrying around in your by in your abdomen and your lower back and your shoulder like all of these things you don't even realize that you're involuntarily flexing all of these muscles just because you have to spend labor in order to make money in order to buy the things to survive <laughs> like like if the one of the big takeaways is my situation is very unique because I have disability income and if that disability income could be transferred to where everyone would have those same types of basic needs met by a minimum income every single month I think that would go a long way to alleviating many of the societal ills that go along with stress which are the underlying issues of anxiety and depression um poor immune system, psychosomatic problems, uh, other, other things like that. I guess part two, or my second point would be that stress in and of itself is not a thing that causes illness. And this is a big takeaway from Sapolsky's book, uh, why, why zebras don't get ulcers. I recommend checking that one out if you haven't heard of it or read it, but Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert Sapolsky is a very good book. But one of the things that he goes into very uh, uh, very much detail on is stuff about like heart health and cholesterol and how your liver functions and how your endocrine system functions and how stress in and of itself doesn't negatively affect any of those processes. Um However, the, the same way like uh, cholesterol in and of itself doesn't cause problems with your arteries. Like you could have, you could be a person that eats uh, a million eggs a day. And as long as your liver functions correctly with the, with the two different types of cholesterol, it's not going to cause any kind of plaque buildup or any problems in your arteries at all. It's cholesterol it's it's only when in combination with these other things because the stress response does have to do with your vascular system and if you're chronically stuck in a stress response and your veins are constantly going through this dilation period and your heart is fluctuating all the time between these rapid beats and then shallow beats and your sympathetic nervous system is overriding um the the just sort of natural rhythm of how your heart is supposed to speed up a little bit and slow down when you take breaths. Um, all of a sudden, if you do have some cholesterol, then that stuff can become problematic as it fluctuates inside of your veins as you're going through a chronic stress response. So it's not that cholesterol in itself is bad and causes heart attacks. And it's not that stress in and of itself is bad and causes vascular problems and heart attacks and strokes. It's the combination of these things. So only if you're going through chronic stress will these other underlying things like cholesterol and hypertension and diabetes and other things have more adverse consequences for you. So that's why when you go to the doctor, they always are harping on stress um, and how that is affecting your immune system. 
it's because the stress added to those other things that we quote unquote consider bad once you add stress to that equation is what makes them bad because in and of themselves not combined with the stress element they don't necessarily cause um bad outcomes yeah i mean and it's not even like just with the heart cortisol causes the lining of your cell vessels to not function properly and they're able to like collect more cholesterol Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and fat and everything so um and cortisol causes your liver to stop filtering as efficiently that your liver filters out fat and cholesterol um and other toxins of course so you have just a buildup of these things so it is like the the combination of everything certainly has a downside um and when you add in like the digestive issues stress and cortisol can affect the the microbiome biome in your intestines and can trigger you to crave more uh, energy dense foods so Mm -hmm. then you reach for like carbs and stuff like that that can compound if you're not exercising and stuff so it's I don't know. It's one of those things that it really starts to have major effects on you. And the thing that you realize is like that stress or you might be set off by something. Um, But it's important to start to take note of those things so that you can try and reduce the, the, the stimuli, I guess. I don't know. It's not like telling somebody to log off is not certainly going to immediately alleviate those things. You have to personally figure out what the beginning of that, that signal is that's causing you to mm-hmm. have the stress response. Cause it's certainly like <laughs> there's now only like downsides, you know, like that's again, Sapolsky put it as uh, we evolved to, fear you know the lion in the bush but now we get the same response over a 30-year mortgage yeah <laughs> so it's uh it's what what was the oh i mean he's the one too that described depression as like your brain is going through the same response as if you were like gored by an elephant except there's no external stimulus for you to be like oh there's an elephant tusk through my lung yeah. Instead, it's all of those ambiguous feelings. Um, and stress can certainly be kind of ambiguous, especially when you're dealing with chronic stress, um, because it becomes a part of just like who you are, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, like those uh, Fiverr ads used to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you eat coffee for lunch, dinner and breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, I, I and I guess the other sort of turn on the other other side of this is there is the addictive aspect of stress and that adrenaline release and that sort of boost in um, capabilities that you get. Um, and this is also a research thing where people, uh, even though they might complain about the stress in their lives, will go back and back and back and back and back again to very similar stressful situations and experiences so that they can get that adrenaline hit 
They can get that, they can feel that rush of what happens to your body when you go through that initial thing. And, you know, this is yeah, simply uh, observed in like athletes who perform really well under pressure. And part of that is because they actually get a little bit of a performance boost if they're able to tap into that stress response, uh, you know, in that in that clutch moment or in that moment of high pressure where everyone's eyes on them. And if it's up to that one individual's success or failure if to determine the outcome of the game, like uh, there are real um, things where people thrive off that sort of clutch type of situation and it's because of this uh, this stress response that you know evolved millions and millions of years ago at the very beginning of living organisms. Um, they're getting off on that adrenaline rush, and it helps their performance. But it's also like that was the thing that I would always say back when I was dealing with so much more stress was like, "Well, I just do really well under pressure. Like I thrive <laughs> under stressful situations." But the thing is. Um, like if you're, you can have that ability, but that does not, uh, relate to having an actual chronic stressful life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you, you do not thrive under poverty. <laughs> That's no, kind no, of, no. Uh, the point, you know, like, so it's like hearing, you know, that kind of mentality or, you know. Uh, like the haters drive me sort of stuff. Like if your life's going really well and you're making <laughs> a lot of money and you don't really have any other outside stressors that you aren't putting on yourself for whatever reason, then sure, go nuts. But it's not one that certainly uh, is healthy by any means. Like, right? Like it's like the the athlete, like it is possible for it to be beneficial. It's possible like for... If you've got kids to see them stress out because they didn't study enough for a test and can give them that energy boost to like try and cram or whatever. But if you're constantly dealing with things that are stressful, then it's, yeah, the, you don't typically. The benefits are short lived. And then if you yeah, get yeah. stuck in the chronic cycle, then the energy boost only lasts for that first few minutes. It's not, it doesn't like, it doesn't, it's not like uh, getting bit by a radioactive spider or something. And now you have this, these awesome adrenaline powers for the rest of your life <laughs> whenever you want. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very situational. Um, but yeah, but it's even, even people who have very negative outcomes from their stress can be, addicted to the experience even if every time they're stuck in a chronic cycle of stress that leads to massive anxiety and avoidance of social situations and you know all the all the worst possible outcomes from it it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not that that first chasing of the dragon itch to get back to that first adrenaline rush that you had um which is and i wonder I, I didn't get deep into the research on it, but it made me wonder if there's like part of this stress response and the people that are addicted to it, if that has some sort of corollary with like the people who are addicted to gambling and other things like that, where you're putting yourself in negative situations when it comes to the odds of you succeeding all the time. 
there's got to be something that you're getting high off of. It's either the adrenaline of that initial stress response by risking it all there or what there has to be something that is more primal and evolutionary in our evolutionary past that is triggering that. It's not just like, oh, we came up with gambling a few thousand years ago and (laughs) it just took off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's it's one of those things that it's got to be I mean, I certainly don't, uh, I don't know. It compounds because if you win, then I suppose it's fun, but I don't gamble. Um, <laughs> it's never, it's never seemed fun to me, but maybe because like right around the time I was able to gamble, I had <laughs> no money. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best time to gamble because you basically got nothing to lose, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except, uh, I need my Marachan ramen, um, <laughs> had to buy that box every month well that was pretty much the exhausting of my notes i hope that we helped everybody out and answered um all the questions on how we cope with stress i I don't know if uh my coping mechanisms are would be considered necessarily the most healthy or psychologically uh the the most uh beneficial approach they're just things that worked for me that I sort of accidentally stumbled upon I wasn't doing any kind of uh training with any meditation experts I didn't go on any retreats or anything like that I just kind of fell into it by being stuck by myself all the time so uh, take take all that stuff with a grain of salt for what it's worth if if you're really concerned about managing your stress and you're having uh issues of trying to figure out how to cope with uncertainty and at least control the what you can around all of the uncertain things in the world uh you know don't be scared to ask uh, professional people i talk to professional people all the time and i'm not ashamed of it yeah it's i think the thing to really take away especially around this time of year is to like like cut yourself some slack i don't know i i find um once people start trying to evaluate it or i don't know i guess maybe i'm imagining this too but if you start to try to evaluate it you might start thinking about like well okay well i drink too much and i i smoke i shouldn't smoke and all this other kind of stuff but it's like you can work on mental things like one at a time you don't have to tackle it all and if you start like trying to work through chronic stress and, you know, quit smoking or whatever, that's that's going to be really difficult. Like if there's certain things, I think that's kind of the the outlook, maybe it subscribes to like the the TCTM outlook of just enjoying life and not th- hoping that you're going to yeah, live past 100 or whatever. Like if you have these things that are enjoyable then as long as it's not causing more problems you can kind of slowly work on your mental stress and everything to reduce those you don't have to be like well i also am also only going to drink on saturday and sunday now because i'm dealing with it to cope with stress it's like well if you you know enjoy having a drink or something (laughs) like it's not the end of the world because you you need to really focus on these things that are causing like these these that weight 
all of the time yeah and causing depression and stuff yeah and definitely don't don't do stuff that's going to add another uh another stressful thing to your life like if if you add becoming less stressed to a list that's already like 200 things long i don't know if that's <laughs> right. necessarily going to help and if you start to do things where you're basically uh flagellating yourself or or punishing yourself or restricting yourself that might not be the best way to approach it either because then uh if you you know if you say i'm only going to stick to drinking on saturdays and then you drink on a wednesday well then now you have another reason to be upset with yourself and yeah. you don't 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 set yourself up to fail <laughs> instead approach this as a way that you're really trying to help yourself and i don't know i think the other thing is just like doing things like this where we're talking about it and you talk about out loud about the way that you cope with it um that helps a lot because a lot of your coping mechanisms will always make sense in your own head like especially if you never have to verbalize them but sometimes um just the mere act of verbalizing them to another person makes you hear your own ideas out loud and then you can realize the deficiency in some of the things that you're doing because now that i now that you say it out loud and you hear yourself say it you can be like oh wow that doesn't that sounds a little dysfunctional maybe maybe i should approach this differently but until you actually verbalize it and hear it in the world as a as an actual conversation point or an idea and bounce it off someone else it's tough to uh get away from your own personal bias of just like agreeing with all of just the thoughts that go through your own head, I think. Yeah, you, you certainly agree with yourself a lot of the times. And then the times that you don't agree with yourself, it's because you're beating yourself up over something. Um, so I don't know. I guess everybody should just quit their job. That's probably my advice. Yep. Everyone quit your job. It's been like a... Like uh, something like a ninety-five percent increase in the robot labor force in the last four years, you're not going to need that job anyway. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and figure out a way to get your basic income guaranteed for the rest of your life. And I think you do those two things, you're you're going to be on the on on your way to a stress-free Simple prescriptions. Life. <laughs> That's why people listen. <laughs> All right, man. Well. Um, we will be back next week for special Christmas episode or end of the year episode. So happy holidays, everyone. And we'll talk to you then. Bye.